Welcome to the NFL Roadshow. As we settle into the postseason rhythm with 12 teams playing this weekend, wildcard weekend, and two teams sitting this one out, Eagles and Chiefs, with a free pass to week 20. We'll have the chance to watch from their couches and get guys healthy. Cough, cough, Lane Johnson and Philly. In the meantime, the stars of this week's injury updates will be Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and Tua Tungavailoa in Miami. Haven't seen Lamar since the first quarter of week 13. According to Ian Rappaport, Lamar thinks that he will be back for Sunday's game against Cincy, but, but, before you get excited, also according to Ian, people who have watched Lamar are not so sure. Also some interesting contract-related news for Lamar on Tuesday, though not about Lamar, but the Ravens agreed on Tuesday to a long-term deal with their all-pro linebacker, Roquan Smith. Five years, $100 million. That's $20 million per year, which is the most ever for an off-ball linebacker. Also important in the NFL, the number that you're all, always looking for in deals like this is the guaranteed money because, of course, contracts aren't guaranteed fully in the NFL. So that number is $60 million. That's what the Ravens will be on the hook for no matter what. And interestingly for Lamar, Roquan represents himself, as does Lamar. So that wasn't an issue here, apparently. But that's not why I bring him up in a Lamar conversation. It's because the Ravens agreeing to a long-term deal with him means that they won't have to use the franchise tag on him, which leaves it available to use on Lamar if need be. Though I would not want to be the person who had to call Lamar and tell him that they were going to use the tag on him if that was the route that Baltimore, in fact, chose to go down this offseason. Anyway, back to the injuries. Tua is still in concussion protocol. Had, hadn't been cleared yet as of Monday when we last heard from McDaniel. As important for the Dolphins, or certainly up there, I would think, is the health of Taron Armstead, their left tackle who missed the last two games with four different injuries listed. Protection has been way different for them when he has not been on the field than when he has been, so we'll see how that goes. Also waiting to hear about Raheem Mostert's status. He broke his thumb on Sunday against the Jets, had surgery on Monday, but McDaniel did not rule him out for Sunday. We'll see... Um, how he's able to do this week and whether or not he's able to get back on the field. Obviously, uh, you guys have heard my thoughts. You heard my thoughts on <laughs> Monday about the Chargers and Staley's choices on Sunday. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on Mike Williams in particular this week. His back injury is being referenced as a contusion. Staley says he's day-to-day. They did get a little bit of good news about Rashawn Slater on Tuesday when they opened the 21-day window for the left tackle to return from IR. Unfortunately, Staley says that he won't be able to play this week, but if they make it past the Jags this weekend, his return will be a possibility for next week. That would be huge, uh, as he's incredibly talented. Looking at the lines for the week, that game, Jaguars-Chargers, or I should say Chargers-Jaguars, since it's in Jacksonville, it has the smallest spread of the week. One and a half points as of Tuesday afternoon. Jags are favored, by the way. There are three games that have much higher spreads this weekend, flirting at times with double digits, and that's the Dolphins-Bills in the early window on Sunday and the Ravens-Bengals on Sunday night, though that one has seen some movement and likely would move some more once we know for sure about Lamar's status, both of those games are nine and a half point spreads as I sit here recording this on Tuesday afternoon. The Seahawks Niners game moved on Tuesday morning on the SI Sportsbook only. It dropped to seven and a half for three hours before going back up to ten and a half points 
where it started and where the other book stayed the whole time. I want to make clear right now that it did go back up, is back up as of this taping time. And the reason I want to make that clear is because we actually discussed that movement today on the pod uh, with my guest, Danny Kelly. While it was in that three-point dip, we didn't know what was happening. So you are going to hear us talk about that just so you're not confused. Uh, It did go back up to 10 and a half. You're also going to hear us exchange some fantasy thoughts at the end of the show. I wanted to get his thoughts on that topic in addition to the playoff picture, since fantasy is one of Danny's main lanes at the ringer, though he also covers the league at large and does a draft podcast too. So let's get to that conversation. Six games this weekend and one that Danny is a little bit more invested in than the rest. It's time now to break the huddle. Hello, let's go. Danny Kelly, thank you so much for joining the show. It's so nice to meet you and finally get you on. We've been going back and forth for a little while, and I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I'm also happy for you that you're happy because your (laughs) Seahawks are in the postseason. What was this weekend like for you with regard to that? Uh, Kind of a surprise, honestly. I didn't really expect it to happen because, you know, I just kind of figured that the Packers would win. The way that the NFL sort of formatted the schedule last week um, where – Basically, the Seahawks game was before the Packers game. It gave yeah. the Packers potentially an advantage, obviously, because, um, you know, I, I don't like obviously the Lions are going to play hard and we expected that. But like, it's just different when you're not playing for your like life. You know what I mean? You're not playing for the playoffs. So um, anyways, I was glad it all kind of worked out that way. Seahawks, you know, eked out a win. And then, of course, the Lions were really, really upset. Lions fans were really, really upset with Seahawks because they got away with like a lot of, you know, there's some bad calls in that game that the Seahawks benefited from. I'll admit that. Um, but then, yeah, but then the Lions against the Rams delivered. Yeah, there, th- like there were several pretty egregious missed calls and, and calls that went the Seahawks way. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens. But uh, obviously, Lions fans were extremely upset. I had a Lions buddy of mine <laughs> texting me the whole time. He was just so pissed. So. Meanwhile, uh, Seahawks fans are like, thank you. Thank you, Lions. Yeah. Appreciate you, Detroit. We love uh, lo- lifelong Lions fans in this area. So, um, yeah, that was awesome. That was a great game. We love Dan Campbell around here. So, yeah. Well, Dan's amazing. And it's funny you bring that up. I, like, you know, rambled about this a lot on Monday's podcast, so I'm not going to go into it. But, like, I was like you originally when I thought this is not fair to the Seahawks from a scheduling standpoint. They got to put them at the same time. So Mm -hmm. that everyone's incentivized to play. And then the schedule came out and I started kind of thinking about it a little bit more. I was like, do I really think the Lions are not going to fight their like ass off in that game? Like of all the teams in the NFL, that's what I love the Lions for is that they're going to do that (laughs) whether it matters or not. Like I I was 100 percent by the time it was game time. I was like, Lions are going to win. Like, (laughs) you know. And then I was around Packers fans. And so I was like saying it quietly. I was trying to structure tweets in such a way that I wouldn't offend Packers fans who were like yeah. desperately like clinging to hope, you know? Right. But I was like, they're totally going to win. So, I mean, yeah, like to, for my point of view, and the reason I didn't really complain about it that much is objectively, I thought it was unfair by the NFL to do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I never expected the Lions to like lay down and like sit guys or whatever like they're playing for pride like dan campbell even said it during the game he's like we don't want them to go to the playoffs like why we want to like play spoiler so um yeah you know i i think it worked out fine and obviously for the seahawks it worked out great but um like from my point of view objectively it was like an un yeah i, mean, I thought i don't really know why i did that but whatever what it is 
Yeah, it's what you're trying to avoid. But I, I think uh, when you looked at the schedule and you said, like, what are their other options? I didn't feel like they had another good option. You know, I, I mean, think that's, that's probably, why they yeah. they ended up landing on that. And they probably ultimately landed in their meetings on what I landed on after the fact, which is like Dan Campbell's Lion Squad is still going to ball <laughs> right. out and make this right. a good game for us. So even it's like best case scenario, it's you know, win or go home for both teams. Worst case scenario, we still got the Lions who are like one of the scrappiest teams in the NFL and they're going to yeah. fight and claw to keep Aaron Rodgers out of the postseason so he doesn't sit there smugly with uh, Melissa Stark afterward going like, yeah, everyone should just <laughs> relax. This was inevitable, you know? <laughs> Can't deal. Yeah, what do you think yeah. is going to happen with him? That clip of him after the game sure got passed around a lot and is going to drive a lot of narratives for the next couple of months. My immediate reaction was that was 100% uh, on purpose by Rogers because he loves the attention and he loves the mystery and the intrigue and he wants to be the center of, you know, like storylines. And obviously, you know, it, it's funny because Rogers, I think, like bemoans the the media and, and sort of like has a, you know, us versus them sort of relationship, I think, with the media. But at the same time, he goes on the McAfee show every week. He won't shut up. He like he talks in the media more than any quarterback I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, I think that I think there's a gamesmanship to it. There's obviously just like he has an ego and he wants to be part of like the discussion to it, I think. But whatever, like it makes it, it fun for us. It makes it, um, you know, gives us good content. So I, I'm not complaining, but I think that the the jersey swap thing was very intentional. He's like kind of like planting that seed. Let us talk about it for the next whatever, however many months it's going to be. Um, and then I think he'll make a decision, but it sounds like he's going to make a decision relatively quickly. Um, my, my guess is he's going to keep playing and he's going to get traded. So we'll see. <laughs> You're like that. Uh, you know, the, the high profile quarterback that got traded last year, it didn't work out so well. Right. So we'll see. What do you make of Rogers play? this year in terms of like, yeah. it's so easy to look at it and go, you know, look at the offensive pieces around him and say like, mm, I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. that this was going to work out and we can't necessarily point to the back-to-back uh, -back defending MVP as just falling off a cliff, but his numbers were bad. Like, so down the stretch, you know, and they went on this mini run of uh, wins uh, heading into week 18 uh, against some not great teams or teams in which even the good teams kind of had some stuff going against them, like 2-0 with his concussion for the entire second mm -hmm. half of that game, obviously, was advantage Green Bay. But Rodgers weeks 12 through 18, he had the 17th best PFF grade after Russell mm -hmm. Wilson. He, according to the <laughs> people who grade every individual play for quarterbacks, they said mm -hmm. that Russell Wilson in that stretch was a better quarterback or played better than Aaron Rodgers. As we're all like, you know, sending Russell Wilson <laughs> off to like the old folks home and saying like, thank right. you for your service. Uh, his passer rating, Aaron Rodgers was 23rd best during that time frame. I mean, obviously these metrics don't tell the whole story, but when you put mm -hmm. both of them together and they're both pretty bad, I don't know. Yeah. Um, my take is, uh, yeah, like obviously he, he didn't play like an MVP this year, which is, you know, the most obvious statement I could make. But, um, at the same time, I don't think it was necessarily really bad. And, and it, one thing that I've kind of been talking about the entire season that I think became more apparent to me than ever before was how important receivers are in an <laughs> offense. 
It um, sounds like such a funny thing to say. But I know. You're to- I mean, you're totally right. There are things think, that we, yes. You know, in the media, we we get very enamored and very, very focused on the quarterback. And I think that's fair. And it's true that the quarterback is by far the most important player on the field and maybe the most important player, you know, relative to whatever in sports. But at the same time, like we saw Tom Brady struggle when he had like a bunch of injuries at the receiver position. We struck like some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL struggle when they don't have a good support system. Like it matters. It matters that you have guys that can go make plays for you. Um, You know, we saw like Justin Fields is another, that's a whole different story, but like his support system is so completely crap. Like you can't even really make an analysis of like how good, like good he was as a passer this year, in my opinion, because because of what we saw from the other teams where, you know, when they had receivers go down, when you had receivers not playing well, like that really, really affects the offense. And so to me, that became more apparent than it ever has before. Obviously it was like, not like the most um, novel concept or whatever, but like that was the big, one of the big stories of the season. And so to round it all out back there and Rogers, like taking Devontae Adams, who is maybe like top two, top one receiver in the NFL out of the equation. Like, what did we expect would happen this is yeah. a, a running joke we have on our podcast is the dead dove do not eat scene from arrested development where he, there's a there's a, a bag labeled dead dove do not eat and and the guy looks in the bag he's like i don't know what i expected it's a dead dove like this is what were we expecting taking Devonte adams out of this equation like the offense got worse the passing game got much worse rogers looked worse and especially considering he didn't have you know really high level guys to replace it like it's a bunch of rookies and young guys and and probably over the hill guys and so um yeah long story short i kind of expected them to, to fall off a little bit what in your opinion was the biggest difference between because we saw the number one wide receiver be taken out of the chiefs offense and patrick That's Mahomes true. continues yeah. just like doesn't miss a beat you know at yeah. the quarterback and maybe had I mean, you could make the argument this was like his best year ever, you know, because yeah, he did that yeah. without he just he brought he brought everybody up. Um, and then you look at Green Bay I never felt the same way about them heading into the season as I felt about the Chiefs. And I'm not sure exactly why, like what the big difference there was in my mind in terms of, you know, like why the Chiefs might still be fine. Um, yeah. But the Packers, I was concerned about heading in. And maybe it's just the the receivers that they had and how young everybody like everybody felt felt like they were just like let's redo the entire room and then the only people that are holdovers are people that are like hanging on for dear life to their nfl careers like guys like randall cobb but you know they had aaron jones and they had aj Dillon in the backfield and that's not that's not something that the chiefs had or at least we thought they had going in jerick mckinnon was a revelation down the stretch and pacheco obviously (laughs) is a guy that they can maybe build with but um, what do you think is the biggest difference there? Um, I think, well, for starters, like Travis Kelsey is still there. So yeah. you have, <laughs> he's okay. You have this force multiplier in Kelsey, God. who's, you know, one of the greatest tight ends of all time. And that certainly gives them a foundation. I think also, I'll just say it like Mahomes is better than Rodgers at this point in time. Like Mahomes is head and shoulders above everybody in my mind right now at quarterback, like playing quarterback. Like there's definitely like Josh Allen is amazing. There's a bunch of guys that are really, really good in the league. Um, but no one to me touches what Mahomes does like play in and play out. He's just on another level. So um, Mahomes being Mahomes, obviously I think it helps to have Andy Reed and then Travis Kelsey still there. Um, but yes, I think that is, that's actually a really good point because 
he is the outlier. Like he lost his best receiver and the offense actually got better. So that's a, I mean, that's one hell of a thing. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think the Kelsey situation definitely helped a lot. And Mahomes is just on another level. You know, it's to go back to your original point, which is like, Hey, it's beneficial to have good receivers. Um, I, I read something at the beginning of the year and, and I need to find out who it was that, that did the study and, or, or wrote about it anyway, because mm-hmm. I've mentioned it so many times frequently, I feel like I need to start crediting, um, this person, but it was about how it's more important to have like your, the thing that elevates you as a team is if you have a really good number two receiver. Like, because having a good number one receiver, then they can still be out on an island and, you know, the defense can take care of that, take you out of the game. To a degree, we saw Justin Jefferson that happened to him a couple of times this Mm -hmm. year, right? And Justin Jefferson's a guy that really pops to me that fits this narrative. Like, looking at the Vikings, Adam Thielen wasn't that guy this year. They bring in Hawk. Hawk is an incredible weapon. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I look at him and I'm like, he looks like he's always been a Viking. Like, and I love, yes, and I love the yeah. lions, but he just fits there. Like it, it works, but, Aesthetic, um, yeah. but the Vikings to me just pop as a team that really needs to go get a number two. Like they need their own T Higgins, mm-hmm. you know, to like open totally. things up for Justin Jefferson and make that offense. And just the, the offense in general better. Cause I don't think they're actually very good despite their record. Uh, Buffalo is another team that mm. I've been thinking like they probably yeah. need to go in that direction too. I think we all thought that Gabe Davis was that guy. And then hasn't really turned out to be the number two that we thought that we were getting in him. But I think that there's something interesting there too, about like, not just even the one it's, you got to have the one and you got to have a number two. And the number two doesn't need to be like the same talent level as the one. It just needs to be a really strong number two that you can't ignore. Yeah, I totally subscribe to that idea. And honestly, you could maybe even make the argument you need three guys just because injuries and things like that happen. Like, you need um, everyone on your offense to be good. That's what it really comes down to. Certainly fucking guard helps. needs to be really good. You can't skimp at the center position. <laughs> I mean, yes. Like, let's be honest. You need everybody on that offense to be good. But like, <laughs> I'm just thinking like of, you know, obviously we we talked about the Packers. I think that held them back that they had number one. They didn't have a true number one. They didn't have a true number yeah. two. But like, look at the team like the Buccaneers who had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line. And then crucially, Chris Godwin was coming back. And he didn't really get going until like around midseason. Um, so having Godwin and Evans, you know, kind of playing at their best, we saw what that like can do late in the season. And now like everyone's scared of Tom Brady again, even though he was like pretty like the offense was just like a hard watch the entire season. And now we're like, oh God, don't want to face them in the playoffs. This Tom Brady, you know. Do you and feel so, that way? Uh, I don't know if they're like great, but I don't want to take, I don't want to play Tom Brady in the playoffs, like period. Like I, that would be the last guy I want to play in the playoffs. I don't even care who's on his team. Honestly. I don't know. I feel like I said that for so many weeks this season that maybe now I'm going to miss on it. Like it's finally going to (laughs) happen, but I, but because I got burned so many times by expecting things to finally start clicking Mm -hmm. and it just didn't, you know, I mean, and they, they play better down the stretch they got worse back which uh, i think is an underrated big deal oh um, yeah but no i mean like i again like i'm not saying that the bucks are good but i'm reverent towards tom brady in the playoffs <laughs> it's kind of like where i'm going with this it's like just kind of it's like the i just don't want to you know we've talked about brady's fall off they're honestly going like 
on like nine or 10 years. It feels like, like, Oh, Brady, he's, he's falling off. Like this is finally it for Brady, but he just keeps coming back. He just keeps coming back. He's like the term or so. Um, but going back to the receivers question, like it, when we, we saw it with the Seahawks, I think DK Metcalf, when, when Tyler Lock was out a week or two ago, you know, it definitely affected their offense. Their offense was far, far less effective when they only had DK Metcalf out there because teams could, you know, bracket him or whatever. And so um, I totally subscribe to that. It's not as easy. It's easier said than done, of course, but like having two receivers can be like a huge, huge difference. What do you make of the Seahawks chances against the Niners this week? I feel like people are talking about it. Like the Niners are just going to roll. And I mean, the yeah. line is massive. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like people That's are out on the Seahawks. It feels like, does it not yeah. feel that way to you? Or are you so immersed um, in it that have, you're not getting that sense? <laughs> I don't have super high hopes. Um, you know, I, I think that the fact that it's a divisional game and traditionally going back before this year, because the, the 49ers beat the Seahawks twice this year before this year, if you look at the matchup like chart going back like 10 years with the Seahawks and 49ers, like the Seahawks have dominated, absolutely yep. dominated the matchup for whatever reason. There's this circular like domination in the NFC West where Pete Carroll dominates Shanahan, Shanahan or, or McVay dominates Carroll and Shanahan. Uh, I believe I, I'd have to check, but I think he dominates the Rams too. And so it's just and like everyone dominates weird... Kingsbury. Right. <laughs> and then there's the Cardinals. Um, but like, yeah, for whatever reason, styles make fights and Seahawks have done well against the 49ers the last few years. Like there's an overwhelming talent difference on the two teams right now. Like the Seahawks defense. Do you think anyone on the like <laughs> national stage could like name a Seahawks defender right now? Like maybe Tariq Wall. <laughs> yeah, there's just not very many. Like, yeah, not many difference makers. And so um, if they're going to win, it's going to have to be like Gino has the game of his life. DK Metcalf and Locke go off. We got Kenneth Walker you know, breaking off a hundred yard runs that I think they have a chance, but I think there's a massive, massive talent difference here. And so, you know, obviously I think the 49ers will win, but I don't think the Seahawks have no chance. I'll put it that way. So this is going to be outdated. I'm sure by the time that this podcast actually comes out, but just in the off chance that it's not, I'm going to bring it up. So I brought up the SI sports book line. I was looking at the lines this morning and I always have it open to SIs because the radio show that I do, my co-host works for Sports Illustrated. So these mm -hmm. are the lines that we verbalize, right? So to make sure we're on the same page, this is the one that I check. So I'm sitting there and I have it open and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, 10 and a half. That's interesting. Okay. It, it, and then as I'm sitting there watching it, it goes away. And I'm like, why'd it go away? And then uh -oh. it, I refresh and it pops back up on SI the line moved to seven and a half. Who and got every, hurt? Well, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking. I'm like, when is this news coming out? Like, are we like, did we lose someone um, in San Francisco? None of the other lines have moved. It's still nine and a half, hmm. 10 everywhere else. So I, I, you know, sent somebody a message that works for Caesars and was like, what do you make of this? And he was like, it could be that they're just trying to incentivize people to bet this, mm. like bet the Niners here because you can mm -hmm. get this great, you know, I don't, um, might be people drawing people to their book, but a lot of times when you see that the first one, if you can go get better odds somewhere else, like you could right. just bet it there, you know, before the news comes out and everybody else adjusts. Um, hmm. but the people that I've texted, they're like, I don't know. I still don't know. Not the Seahawks. Like, that, which is like that. That's a, not a, that's a pretty big move too. Like, right? I'm just I'm like, I'm very three curious what that points. Means. I know. Yeah. I know. I've been obsessed with it all morning. 
It's it's mm. really affecting my productivity. Is Jimmy G I'm trying coming to back or something? Out. Like, uh, would, would the Lions Jimmy... react to that? Uh, would they react that way? I, I don't. Well, that's like, what you I... know. Brock Purdy's playing well, so I don't know. Well, Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy, he has the 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 best, the highest passer rating in the league since week twelve. Yeah. <laughs> what? Brock Purdy. He has more. He oh. has. He's tied for the league leading touchdown passes in that stretch, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So 13, 13 touchdowns. Nothing makes sense. I like honestly, the more that we talk about whoever's playing quarterback for the 49ers, they're like a whole they're a separate discussion from the rest of the league in terms of quarterbacks. Like you have 31 teams with their quarterbacks, and we can talk about those guys. And then whoever's playing 49 quarterback for the 49ers, that's like this whole different like category because for whatever reason, Shanahan can plug whoever the hell he wants to in and, and he'll that guy will pass for like 8.5 yards per attempt. And he'll have like 105 passer rating. And it just does not matter who it is. Like, it's so crazy the way he, um, like, I think it's just the way he marries the pass and the run. You know, he obviously has one of the best run games in the NFL in terms of like schematics and, and just like misdirection and things like that. Um, but the way that he marries that with, you know, the the play action passing game and have, he has the, the most incredible collection of like skilled players in the NFL right now. Um, so it just doesn't really matter. That said, like Brock Purdy's look pretty good. Like, yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about Brock Purdy because he's just he, he's sitting in there and making the throws. And it's like, who is this guy? I, I honestly like don't know who the hell this guy is. The fact that we feel that way and we know that about Kyle Shanahan and you can plug anybody in at quarterback and it's going to be fine because he he puts everybody in such a good position. Like he he highlights their strengths. He, you know, doesn't put them in a position to to highlight their weaknesses. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, this is like coaching 101. And, you know, we were all really frustrated at like Nagy last year uh, for the ways in which he didn't use Justin Fields and just kept going like, hey, just run a regular offense, you know? And um, but but Kyle Shanahan is just the epitome of somebody who like gets it and coaches mm-hmm. the shit out of that squad. And you have the yeah. ultimate faith in him. And yet he's not somebody that we're always talking about in the coach of the year discussion. Like we always the, the coach of the year has to be somebody who like overcame this massive thing or right. pulled his team out of a hole. It's so narrative driven. Do you feel like um, we might need to adjust the way that we approach that? I feel like the MVP is the same thing, right? Like the fact that you have Tom Brady sitting there. What does he have? Three MVPs to his credit. I mean, he's definitely been the best player in the league more than three (laughs) times in his career. Like LeBron fatigue or whatever. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it, too, because like it's it's so narrative and it's it's very much like what happened this year compared to last year compared to this year. And I think we've just grown accustomed to the idea that Shanahan's going to scheme up offense and it's going to be awesome. Um, So, you know, yeah, I I think it's definitely, I think he definitely is like one of the best coaches in the NFL. Um, They've had for whatever reason, a bizarre amount of like bad luck with injuries over the last few years. Um, So that's why they've been up and down. Um, But, you know, clearly he can, he can scheme up offense. Um, Their defense is elite. They have some incredible playmakers on defense. They continue to find guys that will be like big contributors. So, you know, it's hard to like poke holes in this idea that Shanahan's one of the best like coaches, the period in the NFL. What are the other matchups this week that you are most looking forward to? That's Seahawks a good Niners, question. Obviously on Saturday. I feel like the um, Cowboys Bucks to me is like the exact opposite of the answer to that question. Like you were saying <laughs> that the Bucks are the team that you don't want to play in the playoffs because, you know, it's Tom Brady and he could, you know, turn it on. I, I could see them winning that game against the Cowboys regardless. 
You know what I mean? And then, and then it yeah. dry, and then it, the narrative is like, oh my God, he's in the postseason and look what he did. <laughs> he knocked off the Cowboys. But the way that the Cowboys have played this oh, year, yeah. but then down the stretch, like, I, I, I mean, I know that Dak has just been taking a lot of flack this week after the yeah. performance on Sunday and, and deservedly, it was an awful game. I just don't know that he's, I don't want to get too extreme, but I feel like he is to me, an above average quarterback, but barely above average. And that's the toughest type of quarterback to have, right? As a franchise, because you have to extend them because you could do a lot worse, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that he's even remotely sniffing that top tier of quarterbacks. I mean, this year, again, we were talking about weeks 12 through 18 and, you know, Rogers being really low. Dak is lower than Rogers, lower than Russell Wilson when it comes to PFF grade. He's the 19th highest graded quarterback in the last seven games of the season. His passer rating is same, same, 18th. Um, He has the most touchdowns, 15 in that time, but he also Mm. has the most interceptions, 11 in that time. So I don't, I just don't know that I can count on this team and with the coaching staff too, like what we saw from Mike McCarthy last year down this stretch was like uh, this. It's yeah. the opposite of the Kyle Shanahan. I know you're going to take care of this type of vibe. I could it's totally like, what are you going to do to mess this up vibe? Yes. Um, a little bit. Like, why do I not have faith in them? And it's not in that like self-hatred cowboy fan type of way because Cowboys are fans are always fan? like, no, oh, no. Okay, okay. But I'm saying all the Cowboys fans are like that, that I yeah. know they're like, what are we going to do to mess this up? And, you know, yeah, we should win this game, but we're probably not gonna like that's the full <laughs> Cowboys fan vibe. I, I was think. gonna say, I bet they're really nervous this, this week. Um, I don't I think they should like, be. To me, Dak is such a conundrum at quarterback because I want and I think and I want to believe that he's like a high level quarterback. I don't think he's necessarily elite, but I think he's a high level quarterback that can elevate an offense. Um, but at the same time, like it is hard to ignore what's happening at times and then like some of the decisions he makes like i think some of his picks this year have just been like bad luck but going back to last week he threw two pick sixes in a row like those then both of those passes were awful um i feel like he threw like four in a row like right in the dirt i was like what did you like it's one thing to like throw it away but i was like that right just but yeah so like if you and, and we have a joke it this is like a hot take joke it's not actually maybe how we feel but like Dak is just uh Kirk Cousins with better PR um and if you look at the numbers for their careers like per game numbers not even like the the overall total numbers I think are pretty similar but like per game numbers it's like identical it's crazy it makes you like question everything in the world (laughs) um because like almost identical truly like in their careers like other than the rushing like Dak has an edge in rushing um, particularly from early in his career, but like the passing numbers are almost identical. So it's like, is he just Kirk Cousins or is he, or is he just, or, or is this one of those things where the, the eye test is different than the actual stats? So I don't know. It, he, to me, he's a conundrum because I want to believe and I generally believe that he's a high level quarterback, but it's also sometimes hard to ignore some of the big mistakes he makes and things like that. So, you know, I don't, I don't have a great answer for you because I'm like, I'm, I'm in that, I'm struggling to like figure out who he is. Speaking of conundrums, what's going on with the Ravens, dude? Are they, I mean, how, oh my gosh. Lamar, the fact that we're having conversations about whether or not he's going to be back this week with the injury that he had, that I don't think many people, like, we haven't had that many updates on it. No. It's, it's just bizarre. kind of like a, he's not coming back, which 
he better be out there this weekend, right? I mean, yeah. It, well, first of all, I think if you look at the splits between when he was playing and when he's not playing, like the DVOA of their offense, it's like top 10 when he's in there, bottom five or something like that, bottom seven when he's not in there. So obviously their offense has been struggling terribly. It's They're one of the hardest teams to watch, period. Yep. Like they don't have any talent at receiver. They're tight. They're elite superstar tight end. Are that good East Andrews like I love Mark Andrews some of the times some of the drops he makes I just want to tear like it just drives me insane um and so they've been like one of the hardest offenses to watch this year but going back even when they had Mar, like they were not on they were not running like a well-oiled machine I think the DVO would probably say they were good because of the rushing element that Lamar could bring and things like that but like this was a bad it's a bad passing game um that when they get behind schedule really struggles in terms of like longer second and third downs, even their run game hasn't been very good. I think getting JK Dobbins back could help, but like, he's still kind of like banged up and I don't really know what his status is. The whole, the whole team is just like, I don't know what, what week in a week out, who is even going to be playing? I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed this. I thought it's kind of weird. The, the national media has now taken this like uh boilerplate, style of reporting on Lamar that's like he's now been out for 47 days I've never seen it with anyone else like for some reason they're like this is the 17th straight practice he's missed he's now been out 37 straight days yeah I've never seen that report style with everyone else like this is just weird to me like I don't I don't I'm not actually saying it means anything I just it's bizarre to me that they're like now everyone immediately reporting on Lamar like today or whenever he practices next it's like this will be the 37th straight practice he missed (laughs) Why did we start I, counting practices you've missed? I've never seen this before. I feel like someone in Baltimore probably started reporting it that way. Yeah, and then, then people were like, a... well, I have the number easily accessible <laughs> easy to me. Like I might that. as well repeat it. You know, I saw it on Twitter. Like, I, I don't know that people are like necessarily think that that's how they should be reporting right. it. They just do because it's the number right in front of them. I don't know. I just think it's bizarre. But anyway, like that's neither here nor there. I I do think they need to get him back, obviously. Like otherwise this team is just not going to go far in the playoffs. Um he's the he's the element they that they need, I think. And and they've they've been kind of like the Vikings, I think, and like just pulling games out of their ass. Like I don't know how they won some of these games down the stretch. Um but they did. But to me that's not inspiring a lot of confidence going into the into the playoffs they look more fraudulent than most playoff teams at this point just based on the fact you know they don't have a real passing game this is something greg cosell actually said i know he was on your show a couple weeks ago he the way that they run their offense is like almost wholly unique in the nfl and the fact that they take you typically you have five eligible receivers on any given play they just take one of those guys out of the equation and play a fullback in in ricard and so now they're now they have like a numerical disadvantage on almost every play. Like, what do we expect is going to happen here? Again, this is like the dead dove. What do you expect? What do, I don't know what I was expecting. Like, you have one less guy downfield. So I don't know. It's it's uh, it's just hard to watch sometimes. I don't know. Sorry if you can hear my dog. He's barking in the background. I can't. I can't. Um, oh, that's good. They uh, they also I think are in such a an interesting dilemma of sorts with regard to Lamar and his contract Mm -hmm. because they're kind of backed into a corner with the way that they built the team. Like they, they did what they should have done with someone like Lamar and that is built the entire offense 
to support him and his strengths. Although right. I take that back because he could use a receiver too. <laughs> like they didn't actually, you know, totally nail it. Nice in to that have regard. Marquise Brown right about yeah, now. That'd be good. Yeah. But, but you, you get my point. Like they prioritize, mm-hmm. like we're going to go, you know, have the guys so we can go jumbo or whatever. Like that's how we're going to build um, our offense. Yeah. And so now they have all of these pieces that are built for that. So if for whatever reason they decide not to pay Lamar or trade Lamar, or well, I guess they, you know, can't cause they don't own his rights. Anyway, if whatever they decide to do, they are going to have to move forward in a direction where with that type of offense, right? Totally. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's, that is a great point. Plus there's the question of like, if they don't follow up with Lamar and like resign or whatever, like what are they going to do with the offensive coordinator? Like, do they move on from Greg Roman? Cause he was brought in, I think particularly to build an, an offense that would highlight Lamar's skill set, And so you know, if they're going to go back to sort of a traditional drop back passing game or whatever, they're just going to have to like take it down to the studs and start from scratch. So um, that's where, I mean, obviously Lamar has a ton of leverage anyway, especially with the way the offense has played uh, when he's been gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's like, I think an additional piece of leverage. It's like, you guys are gonna have to start from scratch. If if you don't resign me, you know, you're going to have to like completely rebuild this thing. So, I mean, I I would imagine that he resigns there, but we'll see. Jags didn't have to start from scratch, but it feels that way after back-to-back years where they had the number one overall pick Mm -hmm. um, to go from that to being in the postseason and not with a losing record. You know, we talk about the fact that the division is crap and I think fairly so, but, uh, (laughs) but it's not like they're, you know, in here and have seven wins or something like that. They're still nine and eight have a winning record. Um, I, I don't I don't know what to make of that matchup against the Chargers, partially because yeah, yeah. if there is a team that I am emotionally invested in this year, I think the chart that, that's left in the playoffs is the Chargers. <laughs> yeah, um, I have like I uh, um, have hitched my wagon to Justin Herbert star. I am solidly <laughs> yeah. in that camp. I will fight those yeah. fights. I mean, if they if they were able to put him and Jamal Williams on the same team, I would lose my mind and buy all of the gear. Like <laughs> they all they of desperately it. need a guy like Jamal Williams, by the way. Actually, um. that would be perfect, right? Pair him <laughs> yeah. in the backfield with Austin Eckler. Oh my God, yeah. make it happen. No, I want him to stay in Detroit. I actually like him for them. Restore the war. But, yeah. uh, but in terms of that offense specifically, I don't know how much faith I have based on what I've seen in the last month. Once they have had the pieces back, like, you know, mm-hmm. they can, they can move the ball, but they're, you know, like, I mean, you know, in the fantasy space, it was like Justin Herbert wasn't scoring any touchdowns down right, the stretch in right. the season, uh, in the playoffs for fantasy. Um, I don't know. And this past week, the fact that they let those guys stay in and Mike yeah. Williams got banged up and the descriptions were of him, like leaning on the athletic trainer because he was in like so he much pain as he walked get out the of the bus. Yeah. I was like, what, God, what did we fucking do here? Yeah. So I don't know uh, what to make of that matchup. I mean, obviously the NFL has good drugs in terms of like <laughs> what they can give guys before they play, but I've had back spasms before. I can't, you can't even like sit down. Like, I don't know how the hell he's going to play a football game. Um, I, I literally just told you before we started talking, <laughs> I'm dealing with old person back right now. Like I've been recently diagnosed with mild arthritis in my lower back, which is literally just like a, Hey lady, you're old. Go come back to us <laughs> some other time. Take some ibuprofen. But like, my back has been killing me today. And that guy is like, what? So I have, you don't have to go I have play the... in an NFL game. Yeah. No. Like, so my compassion so is strong for Mike. 
I, I'm worried about Mike Williams playing this game. I mean, obviously he he might end up playing and he might end up like whatever they can give him an injection. I don't even know how it works to be honest. Like the, whatever they'll do something to get him on the field. Um, they have technology that can get his back better. But like speaking of from my experience, like back injuries are debilitating, and so you know that's concerning. And then um, so going back to this game, like, I don't know why he was playing in this game. Like he should have not played in this game. I think it's very logical to just not play a guy who's been hurt all year in a game that doesn't matter. Um, but that's just me. I, I think when they have all three guys in terms of Mike Williams, Josh, Josh Palmer and Keenan Allen on the field together, like this offense can be pretty dangerous. Obviously Eckler too. Um, this, this offense can be pretty dangerous because just Herbert is, is such a alien when it comes to like what he can do on the field. Um, but when you have you take one of those cogs out of the, the machine or whatever, like it just seems to break down a little bit. And mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of criticism of what, what Joe Lombardi is doing in terms of the aggressiveness down the field, the way that they want to play. It's like you're designing an offense for a decrepit old Drew Brees instead of a, a strapping young lad and Justin Herbert. So um, it's just there's there's a lot of question marks about this and they're just not as good as you think they should be, I guess. It's like the bottom line. I also think it like hurts. They don't have like a backup running back. Eckler is awesome, but like gotta have, give him some help out there. Like it's, uh, I don't think it should be that hard to find a running back. There's so many good running backs and they can't find for the love for their life of them. They can't find a number two running back that will do anything and come in and like spell Eckler. So um, that's been frustrating. I think you, but again, like, yeah. And that makes me feel like that's, that's gotta be on the, coaches or front office, right? Like, it's yeah. not like they yeah. can't find that guy. Everyone finds that guy. Everyone can find a running back like that. You could pull yeah. somebody off their the freaking couch. Round. We see it happen all the time. <laughs> right. I mean, look at uh, Latavius Murray. He's 32 years old, yes. sitting on his couch, comes out, and he's, like, looking awesome. I don't know what the deal is, but for whatever reason, the Chargers absolutely cannot find a number two running back. Like, no matter how hard they try, it feels like they've been trying for the last three years to find a guy who's like even worth giving the ball to, and they just cannot do it. Um, that's not like to say that Josh Kelly is terrible, but like he's just he's just a replacement level player, to be totally honest. And so like they just need to find a guy who can give him this is more of like an offseason discussion. This doesn't really matter for this week, but like that has just been frustrating to me because then you're just leaning way too much on Eckler. You're leaning, you're leaning way too much on Herbert to like overcome some of the play calling. It just doesn't work. It hasn't just hasn't been working. It does not. It's not a well-oiled machine. That was another, by the way, and then I'm going to stop ranting about last week in Staley. Um, but Eckler, Eckler of all people. Like, I mean, I want you to protect uh, the the Justin Herbert's body at all costs. Like, this is the most <laughs> important thing, right, in Los Angeles these days. But I also, Eckler is like a high-volume running back of all the mm-hmm. people who you should be like, you know what? You want to sit down and you want to rest a little bit? Like Austin freaking Eckler, who like- He asked them that, to do that. I think he asked the team to give him like a little bit more, you know, like of a break during the year because it's obviously very, very hard on his body. He's not a huge guy. Um, so that's part of the reason I'm frustrated with it too. It's like they, he like literally, he's he's one of the only NFL players I've ever seen is like, can you help me like play a little <laughs> less? You know, yeah. like it, it'd be good for me. Um but they just couldn't figure out a way to do it. But I also think, um, and as much as I like Austin Eckler, I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of that across the board. And that has to do with the devaluation of the running back position as a whole. And that is, you talk about off season storylines. That is the one story that I am um, so fascinated by. And I can't wait to see the way it plays out with the number of 
really big name guys that are hitting free agency this year in the environment that we're in with regard to running backs, where people are really wary about giving people big money second deals. And for good reason, there isn't a, there isn't a, a large sample size of people that are on big money contracts, their second contract that actually play that out with, with a lot of success. So the fact that yeah. the number of guys are hitting free agency at the same time this off season, I mean, we're talking Josh Jacobs and um, Tony Pollard, Saquon, obviously, yes. Uh, David Montgomery is up there. Mm -hmm. Is Miles Sanders also hitting free agency? Yeah, that name's I, yeah popping Miles into my Sanders mind. is a free agent. I'm I looking at the list now. It's it's absolutely absurdly good. There's Saquon Barkley, Penny, who I guess is he's injured, but yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. Josh Jacobs, uh, Raheem Moster, Deontay Foreman, Miles Sanders, um, Jarek McKinnon is a free agent, apparently. There's just Ooh. a ton of guys um who are going to be you know tony pollard i think is another one that's going to yeah. be one of the most yeah. interesting guys to see where he goes um but yeah th that combined with the fact this is a really good uh class running back in in the draft it's going to be chaos like i don't know what to expect for next year there's just going to be it's going to be hard to know um who's going to get volume and, and which teams are going to really invest in these is it going to drive the value of these free agents down that there's such a good uh running back class in the draft probably um, so you're probably going to see a lot of these running backs. I think if I had to make one prediction is they're not going to get as much money as they want. Nope. Um, and maybe nope. Saquon, but I figured Josh Jacobs, you know, he'd be next in line there. And then Pollard is probably going to get paid. I don't know if Miles Sanders is going to command a huge contract. Um, the a lot fact of these guys that this, could end the, up returning. The fact that this year feels like such an outlier for Josh Jacobs though. And in a contract year, right. um, that makes me a little bit wary. Yeah, I think if I'm a team to just plus, I think the the Raiders and this is the point that I was making about Austin Eckler. I think I think we're going to see teams just run these guys into the ground, like with no regard for their health or whatever, because I think they will start seeing them or or maybe even should right. start seeing them as replacement parts. Like I'm going to take advantage of you while you are young and you are at full strength and we are going to run the wheels off and then we're going to say thank you for your service and we're going to turn to the next and we're not going to pay you. And I yeah. think that that is going to be more the theme than the like, I think you're going to have to have quite an outlier. Liar. Like you're going to have to be like a Derrick Henry style guy where you're like, I don't know how to find another you, you know? Yeah, totally. Got to be like a unicorn. I, I mean, that great, great, great question. Great way to form it for like Barkley. Do you, how do you think the league sees Barkley? Because I think there's still probably like a lot of people that hold on to the idea that he was a second overall pick. You know, he's this elite, elite athlete one of the best running back prospects of all time, but his career certainly hasn't like turned out the way that I think a lot of people expected so far. There's been a lot of injuries, um, you know, stylistically, I think people have question marks about like how hard he runs downhill. I think he did a better job of that this year than he ever had before, but like even a guy like Barkley, I'm wondering like how big of a contract he'll demand. He's not going to be like a Christian McCaffrey contract. I don't think, but I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think these guys will all demand that. That's the first right. ask, right? And yes. then teams will go, mm, no, no, thank you. And we'll see where it lands. What, from a fantasy standpoint, there was some drop off for Saquon. Like, yeah. how did his, how did, what, you know, looking at that, what um, do you he did, he did, I think he did okay. Like, he finished as the RB5. Obviously, that's not bad. Um, but wasn't it really front loaded with a bunch of 30 point games? Am I am I missing? I have zero uh, shares of Saquon. So while I paid I'm attention trying, to him, I'm I did my brain too. Yeah, he had a. I believe he like 
you know, was banged up throughout the middle of the year. There was a lot of like inefficient games in there. Um, and so he kind of like started strong and then finished strong and, and the numbers bear that out. But like, yeah, he, to me, it's like, it's always the same question with him. Well, especially like the injuries, like are the injuries impacting his performance? Like how, how big of a deal is that? You know, cause obviously teams are going to want guys that can play through pain and play through injuries. Um, and so, you know, there's going to be just a lot of question marks. I think when it comes to Barkley, obviously he's elite talent, but um are they going to look at like his body of work throughout his career and, and say, we want to give this guy however many millions a year. What, what is the highest contract for running backs right now? I don't even remember. Uh, I'm going to look it up while we're talking, but um, see here, the big, the, the highest paid running backs, like McCaffrey's averaging 16 a year. I don't know if any of these guys are going to get that though. That's a lot of money for a running back. <laughs> And McCaffrey's such a difference maker. There's like very few guys like him. You know what I mean? And so um you can use him in every single way, every aspect. Right. And you put him see now I didn't I didn't have any shares of Christian McCaffrey this year either because I was a little bit wary about the games missed for the last couple of seasons and the injuries and just like I don't I don't want to take any chances in the first round. Um I, I want someone that I feel yeah. really, really confident in. And I don't have quite, I personally don't have question marks attached to them. I felt like he was a little bit of a gamble this year and the gamble paid off for the people that did draft him. Certainly I would think about drafting him next year though. You put him in that Kyle Shanahan offense and I know it's counterintuitive know, because right? he has one more year, you know, he's a little bit older. Uh, and they, they showed initially that they, they were interested in maybe like having him share a backfield. Like he was, he was splitting like Elijah with, Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. I think that that was Marshall Falk came on uh, the radio show that I do with Michael Fabiano. And he suggested that he thought that that made sense when Christian McCaffrey was new to the offense because he didn't understand the pass protections. And sure. so in order to take care of that, to rotate him out, like it was too obvious when, when they would take him off the field that they were in a passing situation or a oh, running situation. Yeah, yeah. And so he thought that they were doing that split strategically just until he got up to speed. So I have sense. that yeah. a little bit in the back of my mind. We'll see what happens now that Elijah is back. And, you know, we've got right. the postseason sample size to see if maybe Marshall was right or if they actually just want to rotate them. Either way, I think that Christian McCaffrey has so much fantasy value. What are your thoughts yeah, on 100%. what will on, on how we'll react since you're a big fantasy guy? I got to ask you about that to what we saw this season and how it affects drafts next year? Uh, that's a great question. I think one reaction is you can take Travis Kelsey first overall. I don't care. Like, go for it. You know what I mean? That, like, there's no, I don't think you should get shamed if you just decide to take Travis Kelsey with the first pick. Like, go for it. You know, I'm not going to judge you on that. Not first I think overall. For, for, for sure a first round pick. Um, but he outscored, I think, the next closest uh, tight end by like 100 points. 100. Like, that to me, over. Yeah. Over 100. He had <laughs> That over is a huge advantage. Like, and we're not talking about like 800 to 700. We're talking about like 313 to like 210 or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. he had like a third more points than the number two. What he was like legitimately the only good tight end. Yes. <laughs> like, so I would say that is one big takeaway. Like, right now, if I was just making a list of things I want to do in drafts. I'm like, just get Travis Kelsey, like stop playing around, stop like trying to get cute with like late round tight ends or whatever. Just take Travis Kelsey early and, and benefit from it. I, you know, who knows when he's going to fall off. It doesn't look like anytime soon to me. Um, the second thing is I think 
there's probably going to be, and maybe this was already kind of the case coming into the year, but like you mentioned it, there's probably going to be more receivers in the first round than mm-hmm. running backs like last year, just because we've seen so many guys just get hurt and we've seen so many teams go to committee back style. So like Jonathan Taylor last year looked like, or coming into this year, looked like the safest pick, like, Oh, he's going to get a ton of volume. He's an elite talent. He's the safe pick Christian McCaffrey, you know, whatever. He's just, he's dangerous. Like don't, don't go with that because of the injury risk. And then Jonathan Taylor comes in and just absolutely bombs. You know what I mean? Like, especially for where you took him. So um, I think people are, going to be psychologically more like I would say more comfortable taking like a guy like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, any of these guys, cause you know, or like Tyree kill or whatever, you know, that they're going to produce, have pretty consistent like production all throughout the year, less likely to get hurt in theory. Um, and so to me, like the two big things, there's like, it doesn't matter where you want to take Travis Kelsey. And then I'm probably going to be leaning towards like these elite receivers over running backs, just cause I think the running back situation is so, you know, tenuous year in and year out. I think we're at an inflection point with regards to who the running backs are that are those first round running backs because yeah. this year, and I think we, we saw, you know, we saw that play out this year, the guys that went in the first round, how many of those first round running backs actually hit, you know, and it just crushed people if they drafted the wrong first round running back. Mm-hmm. I am a little bit surprised how many people are saying to go back to that. Well, for Jonathan Taylor next year. I'm like, Jonathan Taylor is out of my first round. I don't want him. And it has nothing to do with him or his talent. It has to do with what we learned about how important it is to be in a good situation as a running back. Like if you have a bad offensive line, if you have a bad quarterback, if you are in a questionable coaching situation, all of these things you have to factor in for the running back, even Nick Chubb, who is, I think arguably one of the most talented running backs in the NFL He was in a bad offense, particularly down the stretch when they pivoted to Deshaun Watson. He worked um, through some kinks. I mean, he was putting up regular single digit performances. You can't get that out of your number, uh, your first round pick. You can't do it. So for me, I'm off of that. You look at the other running backs who smashed, they're in good offenses. So in, in descending order of like top scorers, Austin Eckler who who I liked and took number two in several drafts because he was in a good offense. And I thought you mm-hmm. can trust that. And obviously I like his talent, but like that's the that's the deciding factor if we're tied here for me. Christian yeah. McCaffrey, who ended up in a good offense in San Francisco. Josh <laughs> Jacobs, who, okay, I don't know if the offense, but the offense was good. The team wasn't good, but the offense right. was up there. Right. So um, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb. Uh, Ramondre, Tony Pollard, Aaron Jones. These are all teams that were in the mix at the end of the yeah. year. You're not talking yeah. about teams that are like, like Damian Pierce, right? Damian Pierce is a great running back who needs to get to over a hundred yards for you to hit double digits because right. they don't throw like to him and they don't score touchdowns. Scoring. Right. You just hope he scores a touchdown kind of deal. Um, yeah. But it, no, I but totally it's gonna, agree. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to depend on where these guys go. Right. Like, like you were saying, like where they fall. Yeah, well, that's, that's the other part. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see, obviously, you know, we're, we were still really far away from like doing drafts, but like Josh Jacobs, like if he lands back with the Raiders, are people going to be still really excited about drafting him? Or are they going to be like, okay, well that was his contract year. Things are going to be different this year. You know, maybe he was just the outlier last year and then he'll fall a little bit. I don't know. We're going to see with that, like with Derek Henry, just getting older, just getting older. And like, 
there's obviously huge question marks about who's going to be the quarterback in that offense. They just fired their offensive coordinator. There's, there's question marks there with Saquon Barkley. Again, number one, does he resign with the giants? Does he go somewhere else? Um, I would probably still be willing to draft Barkley pretty high, just based on the fact that he has like that, you know, receiving ability. He's on what looks like an ascending offense. Cause if they're going to get more talent, like I think that they'll be probably better going into, but again, what happens with Daniel Jones? There's just a lot of question marks about all these guys. Um, and my right, favorite Reece Giants. Holly's coming off of a injury. Pollard, who knows where he's going to land? Connery's getting older. Ramondre, like, are they going to go back to having like a committee? Where, like, would they typically do? Aaron Jones is even going to be on the Packers. Leonard Fournette getting older. Alvin Kamara getting older. It is. It does feel like sort of, um, you know, you said I think an, an inflection point with running backs where there's like a bunch of older guys that are sort of like over the crest of their career. And then there's young guys who are coming up and sort of have uncertain roles. I think like, honestly, like a guy like Kenneth Walker. Yep. Could he be a first rounder? Mm-hmm. I might take him over all those guys. ETN? <laughs> so, ETN maybe? Yeah. Yeah. He got a ton of volume. That offense is ascending. Um, he flashed some ability to catch passes. Like there's, there's that. Yeah. There's, I think going to be some up and coming guys like in that mix that might, leapfrog some of these other established guys and maybe that's a mistake i don't know (laughs) Bijan robinson where does he end up oh my gosh yeah that too how do we how high do we take him i'm with you on kelsey though i think and i have been in the last few years not really comfortable taking kelsey where he's been going in drafts just because you know i'd rather take like the number three tight end or go get mark andrews like a few rounds later or something like that and like you want somebody in that tier though i went heavy in that mid-tier of tight ends this year like I had a lot of Goddard and Schultz and Friday. Goddard was a like, lifesaver for until he got hurt anyway. Because Schultz wasn't. Yeah. Schultz he was, was a bad. killer. But Goddard <laughs> was good. But yeah, no, I I I actually I don't think it's a bad idea to take Kelsey in the first round this year. And um I don't know if I would build my team that way, but I certainly it wouldn't is, yeah. make fun of somebody for doing it. You know? I think it's that's what I'm saying is more like when you're in a draft with like your friends or whatever, like if you take a weird pick in the first round, you're going to hear about it. People are going to be like, what are you doing to me? If you take Kelsey first, like I get it. I might not do that, but like, I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's weird. I don't think you're like insane if you want to do that. Um, So that's like how I'm picturing it, how I'm like sort of laying it out. There's so, like, if you want to take him in the over first overall, like go for it. I'm okay with that. Danny, where can people find your work? Uh, the ringer.com. I am Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. Got the ringer fantasy football show once a week, I believe now going forward, but it's also half of the time, the ringer fantasy or sorry, the ringer NFL draft show, which is transitioning. We're transitioning yes. into draft time. So yeah, check that out. Listen to that. We got that a couple times a week. And then we got the ringer NFL draft guide coming out. I think at the end of the month, which I'm working on hard right now. And I apologize again for my dog barking in the background. If you can hear that, he's just going, going crazy downstairs, but yeah. The fantasy draft expert split. That is the way to go. That's a smart, oh, that's a smart was, repertoire here that you've put together. I'm doing this specifically for my fantasy teams, mainly like I, I have like huge into dynasty, uh, the fantasy world. And so like that makes is perfect. Cause like, I have to study these guys for my job. But also, I love studying these guys because it's really fun to do like the rookie drafts and figure out who's going to be the best sleeper or whatever. It's it's a good mix. And so um, we kind of cover that a little bit in the show. Um, but there's a great like overlap with draft and fantasy. 
It all goes together. All of the different <laughs> tentacles of the NFL. Danny, thank you so much for your time. Really, I've enjoyed this very much. So I appreciate you making time. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Some other news that came out while putting the show together. The Commanders are moving on from Scott Turner as their offensive coordinator. So they will be in the market for someone new to run the offense as they also look for someone to quarterback it. Rivera saying at his season wrap-up presser on Tuesday that their evaluation process of Carson Wentz was sound, but that, quote, some things happen that are unforeseen. I think there are some people out there that would disagree with Carson Wentz's play as being one of those things, though maybe he's specifically referring to the injury and the effect that that had on their ability to have some consistency at quarterback. I don't know. I think it's fair to say that Arizona thought what happened this season was unforeseen, at least from an ownership standpoint, because they just signed Kingsbury and Kime, the coach and general manager, to long-term extensions last spring and now have made the decision this week to move on from both. Uh, they fired Kingsbury on Monday and they are, well, the, the kind wording is different. It sounds like he might be welcome to continue in a different role with the organization, maybe as a consultant, but he won't be their general manager anymore. He is going to step down to focus on his health. They also committed to Kyler Murray long-term this off season. I'm wondering if they are regretting that move as they sit here in January of 2023. They are apparently interested in making some other moves on the offense. Uh, according to Jordan Schultz, who was on the show about a month ago at the trade deadline, he is reporting that Arizona is going to try and trade DeAndre Hopkins this offseason, that he has two years and $34.3 million left on his deal and that he will likely be looking for a new deal and the owner, Michael Bidwill, is going to tell general manager candidates as they're interviewing them that he is interested in them moving him once they actually get the job. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, though, obviously not for a little while. They have to get a general manager in place first. But can you imagine being that person? Hello, welcome to Arizona. First order of business. Please trade our best player away. <laughs> Good times. Anyway. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate Danny Kelly for joining me. Again, his Twitter handle is Danny B. Kelly. My producer is Andrew Emmer, and the show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you are not already a subscriber, hit that button now, and we'll see you back here again on Monday with reaction to everything that transpires in this wild card weekend. Enjoy the games, everybody, and I'll see you again on Monday. Serious XM Podcasts.